Um, before we start, I just wanted to notice that um, if you, there's a shortage of teenagers around here, it's not due to summer. Um, we have a van load of teenagers heading to Tennessee right now. They left 6.30 this morning for the Christ and Youth Conference. So there's about 15 teens and sponsors headed down there for this week. Pray for them. They'll probably be about two, 3,000 teens. Um, I think it's um, Tennessee, Middle Tennessee State they'll be at, but it's a great conference. Okay, favorites. Um, have you ever been the favorite? Whether that was in your family or with a teacher, maybe a coach, maybe a boss. How did you feel? What was it like to be the favorite? Did it help? Or was it a bigger problem? Of course, then the flip side of that coin is, have you ever not been the favorite? Where you were in a situation where somebody else was the favorite, and you had to deal with that. You had to live with them. You didn't get the special treatment. How'd that make you feel? Uh, this is a real struggle for me, I have to admit, because this is one of the few Sundays where I actually have all three of my children in this room. And I think if we polled them, they would have vastly different opinions about who, had a, who was a favorite in the family. But I decided to resist that. I ask you about the favorites because Joseph was the favorite. And we begin today a series of sermons that will take us through Labor Day looking at the life of Joseph. It was an amazing life. If you look at Joseph and the big picture of his entire life... There were a lot of bad things that happened to him, and we're going to look at some of those this summer. And yet there were some good things that happened to him. And yet in all of the mixture of life that was Joseph, what stands out is how God used Joseph in some amazing ways. At just some critical points in the history of the nation of Israel, to not only save the entire nation of Israel and preserve it as a nation, but he ended up being what we would call today the prime minister of the entire empire of Egypt. And yet how all that happened is the most amazing story. And one of the things I hope to show us, I hope we see in this sermon series is that Joseph was really like all of us. He was an ordinary person. That's my point. If you like superheroes, I love superheroes. A lot of times superheroes are superheroes because of who they are. They were born into it. Wonder Woman was born into being Wonder Woman. Thor was born into being Thor. And so you look at them and say, well, yeah, if I'd been born like that, I'd be a superhero too. But I wasn't. But that's not true of Joseph. Joseph was a human like us. And he wasn't born into it. And I want us to understand that, especially in this first sermon, as we sort of look at Joseph and who he was and how he grew up, the home he grew up in. I want to first take a little bit of time and talk about some of Joseph's roots. 
His great-grandfather was Abraham. We view Abraham, Israel views Abraham as the father of their nation. God called Abraham and said, I will make a great nation from you. And the nation of Israel we have today is where he's from, or what began with Abraham. He had two sons. Ishmael, because he and Sarah couldn't wait on God's timing. And Ishmael is the father of all the Arab nations. When God's timing was perfect, he also had the son Isaac, who was the father from whom, or the son from whom the Jewish nation comes from. And I always find it fascinating, politicians today still try to bring peace between those two groups. And God promised there's going to be enmity between those two groups, and there still is. Isaac and Ishmael. Well, Isaac was Joseph's grandfather. Jacob was his father. And this is where this family structure gets interesting. And really, this family could be any current TV show in all that went on there. Jacob was the younger of two sons. Esau was his older brother. Esau should have gotten the blessing, which you, we probably could use the word inheritance, the special status in the family. But Jacob and Esau's mother, Rebekah, liked Jacob better. And so she hatched this plot to make sure that Isaac thought he was giving the blessing to Esau, the oldest son, when in fact he was giving the blessing to the youngest son, Jacob. And so those two brothers hated each other for years and years and years because Jacob had stolen the inheritance. That's the family to which Joseph comes. But it gets even more interesting. Jacob tries to find a wife finds a woman, falls in love with her, Rachel. Her father says, well, you've got to work seven years for this beautiful girl. Jacob loves her enough. He says, okay, I'll work seven years. And he works seven years. Uh, in marketing today, we call it bait and switch. Um, at the end of the seven years, Rachel's father says, oh, you know what? You've got to take the oldest sister first. So, instead of Rachel, you get Leah. She was not nearly as attractive to Jacob, but that's who his first wife was. Then the dad says, well, if you work seven more years, you can have Rachel, and he does. So, Jacob works 14 years for Rachel and finally has her as his wife. Now, he has two wives. One of the other things that w is different for us than in the ancient world, in the ancient world, a woman really had one purpose, and it wasn't even just to be a wife, it was to be a mother. Because that's how the family continued, and if you did not have children, if you were childless, uh, it was really a, a, a lack of worth on your part. And unfortunately for Rachel, she couldn't have children. Leah, her older sister, and something tells me they were not close as sisters. Leah started having children. 
And so she has this value in the family. Rachel couldn't. So finally, to somehow get some sort of value, she says to her husband, Jacob, please take this slave, my servant, Bilhah, and have children through her. And that somehow will be sort of my children. And so Jacob agrees to that and starts having children through Bilhah, the servant. At that point, Leah is no longer able to have children, and this competition between who can have the most babies continues. I know this, Hollywood could never go beyond this. I, this is right out of the Bible. And so now Leah sends in her servant slave, Zilpah, and she starts having children. So now we have two wives and two slaves, four women, and they're all having, no, three of the four are having children. We're now up to ten sons. Rachel still has no child. And then along comes Joseph. And we want to pick up the story in Genesis 30, verse 23. Rachel became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace that she couldn't have children. God has taken away my disgrace and she named him Joseph. Now keep your hand there. We're going to go back to some other scriptures in Genesis. Rachel had one more child, Benjamin, and then she died in childbirth. If you want to talk about a blended family, I think this qualifies. So now we have 12 sons born to four different women, all married to Jacob. Can you imagine the dinner table? Can you imagine the dynamics in that family? And we're going to see those dynamics play out. It wasn't good. There was normal conflict in the family. If you read over in verses 2, Joseph, a young man of 17, so now Joseph is 17, he was tending the flocks with his brothers. They were nomads, goats. The sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, the two slave mothers, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Okay, most of... You in the room have siblings, probably. One of the things that really got dicey is if you turned in your brothers and sisters. You know, I mean, it might feel good in the moment, but usually somehow the brothers and sisters were going to get their revenge somehow. Because one of the worst things you could do was bring down the wrath of dad or mom. And you, they would find out who told. Well, that's exactly what Joseph did. At 17. And they were his stepbrothers. There wasn't probably a ton of love anyway. Rivalry. The mothers had had all this rivalry. And then he turns them in. And now your relationship with your siblings is even worse. Well, there was a favorite among these 12 sons. And we're told exactly about that in verse 30 in verse 3 now Israel which is another name for Jacob 
Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, parentheses, and had come from his favorite wife. And he made an ornate robe for him. And the play Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat was able to be made. All because Jacob loved Joseph more than any of the others of his sons. And that put Joseph in an interesting situation. Clearly we see they were normal brothers. It was a family with all kinds of dynamics. It wasn't the cleavers. It wasn't this ideal family with one dad and one mom and everybody loved each other. That wasn't what was going on there. There was a lot of sibling rivalry. Over in verse 4, we're told the brothers hated him. When his brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. There was tension. And I think if we look at the whole story... Joseph wasn't innocent in all of this. He liked being favorite. And I think at times, and especially as the younger brother maybe wanted to flaunt it a little bit. But there was another reason. And especially if you put yourself in the brother's position, it's just, I just want to kill him. You know, I just, jump down to verses 5 through 8. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. Okay, it's breakfast. Joseph said, hey guys, I had a dream last night. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Nice dream, huh, brothers? Verse 8, his brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. We won't read it this morning, but if you go back and keep reading, he has another dream. And again, all the brothers have to bow down to him. And of course, he has to share that dream too. Now, part of it is this younger brother who's probably tired of the older brothers putting him down. And these dreams give him his chance to sort of push back and say, yeah, well, my day's coming. Well, unfortunately, all of this sets up for things to get really ugly. And this family becomes a broken family. Stay in chapter 37, go down to verse 18. The, the brothers are out herding far away. Jacob sends Joseph to go check on them and see how they're doing. And then we pick up in verse 18. But they saw Joseph in the distance. He was coming. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Obviously, they had gotten tired of hearing about Joseph's dreams. A cistern, you need to picture just a great big underground, usually rock-lined, sort of, you think a well, but that's, the water doesn't come in from the bottom, it's collected from rain. 
But if you are down into one, you can't get out. And there was clearly a number of those in the area that said, well, we'll just get rid of him that way. If you read the rest of the chapter, Reuben is one of the brothers with a little bit of soft heart for Joseph and says, well, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in the cistern. He's really trying to do it to save his life and thinks he may be able to come down, come back and save him. So they beat Joseph and they throw him into the cistern. And then down to verse 25, as they sat down to eat their meal, now think of this, I was just thinking about this as I was going over this this morning. I think they're sitting around the campfire and they've thrown Joseph in this cistern, but he's alive. I just picture them hearing as they're eating, come on guys, enough's enough, get me out of here. Come on guys, I'm sorry, I won't tell you about any more dreams, come get me. But he has no idea how much they hate him. They looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. They were traders. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hounds on him. After all, he's our brother and our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So Judah was saying, let's not have this guilt, his blood on us. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern. And I think for a few minutes, Joseph maybe thought they'd finally listen to him and said, okay, Enough's enough. This prank's over. They're going to get me out of the cistern and let me go. And then he realizes that wasn't it at all. So they sold him to the Ishmaelite traders for 20 shekels of silver. And they took him to Egypt as a slave. Imagine what that made Joseph feel like at that point. This wasn't a prank. They sold him into slavery. And slavery at that point in the ancient world was a one-way death sentence. This wasn't you're going to work it off and you're going to get to be free in a few years. Your life was over as you knew it. Joseph had a pretty radical change in his life. If you think about Joseph's life... I put, it's going from triumph to despair. Yes, you don't grow up in this perfect family, but your father loves you. You have this special status. And you have some dreams that come along that seem to indicate, wow, there's something coming in my future. And at that age of Joseph, you probably start to feel a little big in yourself. I'm going to make a big difference. I'm going to really... And then you realize how deeply your own family hates you, your siblings. And then you think you're about to get out, and lo and behold, you don't get out. Chains are put around your hands, your neck, and you're led off, maybe with some other slaves, walking across the Sinai Peninsula, bound into a future of slavery forever. What about those dreams? 
What about that technicolor dream coat? I think there's some lessons for us and Joseph, and we're going to see more of the lessons as we go through the summer. But there's two lessons out of his beginnings that I want us to capture today. One is that God doesn't need us born into some perfect family to use us. We don't have to have this glowing past or have done everything right. Joseph grew up in a pretty broken family with some pretty unhealthy things going on. But that doesn't mean God couldn't use him. I'll go back to my superheroes. I think a lot of times we read about the superheroes of the Bible and we start to get the image, well, yeah, if I'd been like Moses or if I'd been like, or if I'd grown up like them, well, of course they did great things for God. But you know, if you really look deeply at the superheroes of the Bible, most of them were just like Joseph, who were very flawed people who grew up in very imperfect situations, and yet God used them. He didn't need them to be perfect. He could use them with some past mistakes and some imperfect beginnings. None of that held God back from saying, hey, I have something for you to do. So if you're sitting there today and saying, well, God could never use me, you're wrong. There really was only one superhero in the Bible, and that's Jesus. The rest were humans, imperfect humans from imperfect families and imperfect pasts. And that does not, did not, and still today does not keep God from saying, hey, you, I have something I want you to do. If you were here earlier today, we heard from six, seven people who God used in Alaska for two weeks to do some amazing things and touch children's lives. Because they were all perfect people? No. In fact, they all said, I, I couldn't believe I went. I, this was way in over my head. But God could use them. Because as we'll see, like Joseph, they said, okay, God, if you can use me, I'm available. And Joseph's going to get to that point. People who went to Alaska got to that point, and God used them. And they were blessed in the process as they blessed others. And I just want you to see that that can be true for you. God would like that to be true for you. I firmly believe that God has plans for every one of us if we will be available to Him. And His plans aren't based on how perfect we are or how perfect our past is. His plans are based on are we willing to say to him, God, I'm available for you to use. And Joseph was able to do that, or he will. And of course, the other thing we need to see in this, and we'll talk some more about it next week. What do you do when you're Joseph, when you've had this wonderful life in favorite son status? And one day you wake up with an, uh, a, a steel collar around your neck and you're following a camel across the Sinai Peninsula to spend the rest of your life as a slave. In that moment, what do you do? 
Do you give up? Do you give up on God? Do you get angry at God? What do you do when life throws us a big curveball? Unfortunately, that's really when the tests come. What are we going to do? And Joseph isn't done being tested, and we're going to see that. We'll see it next week when he gets his first owner named Potiphar. And what are you going to do when life throws you these tough tests? And it comes to all of us, doesn't it? Some of you are living in that right now. Some circumstance in your life, maybe in your family, maybe at work, maybe in your physical body in some illness. What are you going to do? Those tests come. The only thing I can say to you is what we'll see Joseph learn. Is that there is only one person who will never leave us and that's God. Joseph's going to be drugged to Egypt and sold into slavery and there's nobody even close that he knows is going to be there, but God's going to be there. And he's going to be sold as a slave, but God's going to be there. Wherever he goes, God's going to be there. And God does see and he cares. We had a funeral here yesterday for Laura Saviola. And I use the passage from Mark. The disciples are crossing. Jesus sends the disciples across the Sea of Galilee. And they get trapped in this big storm. And they think they're going to die. And Mark tells us that Jesus was still on the shore. But he saw them. He saw what they were going through. And he comes walking to them. Whatever you're going through, I promise you God sees. And he does care. You may not feel that way right now, but he does care, and he will come. He wants to come, if you'll let him. In this particular story, I've always been puzzled by it. It says, and Jesus started to walk. He was walking on the water, and it says Jesus started to walk past them on the water. And they screamed out to him. Now, some of it, they were screaming because they thought he was a ghost. But I think some of us, they realized, Jesus, we do need you. And I think that's what we have to wrestle with. Will we come to God and say, God, I need you. I, I feel like a slave. I'm in a boat in a storm and I'm afraid I'm going to drown. God would like nothing more than for us to say to him, I need you. Come help me. Joseph's going to say that. He's going to have to say it again and again. And every time, God meets his need. And that's one of the things I want us to learn as we look at the life of Joseph. Because he was where we are. And we have much to learn from him. And a faithful God who will always take care of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Joseph. He wasn't perfect, and, and thank you for that, because we're not perfect. And we don't come from perfect families. And yet you were able to use him, and he found out how much you took care of him. I pray for those today who need you to take care of them, who are facing some crisis in their life. 
May they learn from Joseph that you will take care of them. That turning to you is the only solution. Thank you for being a faithful and loving God for us. In Jesus' name, amen.